I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. Hello, everyone. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. Number 50-something. 50-something. We're in the 50s. I think we're 54. 7 or 8. 58? It's in the fifties. Yeah, the high fifties. We're we're at our year anniversary. Well, we passed our year anniversary. Oh, that's true. We yeah. totally did. We've been doing this for over a year now. Right. Awesome. We have additional episodes because we launched some bonus episodes. Yeah. So we're in the uh, late high fifties. Super exciting. We should have had a party. I know. Well, Son soon we'll be celebrating a lot because we have a lot of really cool things coming up. Uh huh. A lot of juicy, juicy, amazing things. Not only this podcast that we're about to uh, go into, but we're recording an online workshop. Yep. I have an online four week series. We're in the process of that. More details will come soon, but an opportunity to take a four week series workshop with us online from anywhere in the world. And it will include videos. You can actually see our wonderful little faces talking about some things. <laughs> right. And then we'll, you have some time to actually um, call in and talk with us. Well, it'll, it'll be really inspiring and helpful and, um, that'll be soon. We're working yep. on it. We'll have a launch date soon, so we'll keep you posted. And then, Amy, what do you what do you have going on? Um, I uh, talked about this in the last podcast, but I have a workshop coming up that is a couples retreat on July seventh and eighth here in Santa Cruz. Uh, you can find out more information at purepleasureshop.com, But it's a couples retreat to teach couples about communication and um, tantra and juicy connection stuff. And uh, the intention is for people to come in feeling like oh, I feel good about my partner and to leave you feeling really really great about their their connection um so it's a two-day retreat here in the santa cruz mountains Uh, you can find out more at purepleasureshop.com um and we're also going into a book writing retreat amy and i it's just her and i book writing retreat because we are we are it's gonna be amazing we've already brainstormed and we have some really cool helpful it's not like our biography no who gives a fuck about our biography? <laughs> Someone does. Well, someone probably does, but we're writing. It's, it's going to be a really useful um, tool mm-hmm. to, to provide our listeners and beyond. And if you are in the Brooklyn area, um, I will be emceeing, and Amy will also be um, participating in the uh, Sexual Health Expo. It's in Brooklyn, New York. In September. September 22nd and 23rd. Um, we're probably going to do a live podcast over there and probably some workshop teachings, and I will be emceeing, and we'll have a shameless sex booth, and it's, I believe it's free. Mm. So if you are in New York in September check us out find us oh yeah in chicago i should announce this too i'm actually teaching in chicago uh at a store that is either called taboo taboo or the alley i think it's also known as both of them i think that it's both of them i've yeah. been there before okay yeah and it's on uh tuesday june 26th i'm teaching at 7 p.m i'm teaching my g spots p spots and squirting 101 workshop at uh taboo taboo in chicago so if you are in chicago and you want to come see me and learn from me come there on june 26th 
Um, and we're going to read a sex question, but this podcast that we're going to do, we have a guest speaker. Uh, it's on sex trafficking. It's really, we already recorded it just yes. to be transparent. It's be, really moving. It's moving. She's, She's a amazing. phenomenal oh human God. being. And you I don't want to miss like, it. You don't no, miss it. I was like, I'm fanning the tears away right now because yeah. it's powerful and mm-hmm. really good stuff and information. This shit's happening. Everyone it's happening now. It's not just in Cambodia or Thailand or where you, where you, you'd think that this stuff kind of happens. It's in your backyard. It's in your, it's in your home. It's, it's in major cities. It's in small towns. So it's important to listen to this. Um, and perhaps there's something that you can do to help. So, well, um, the story is also an inspirational story of, um, not only the, the, the struggles with human trafficking and, um, but also the resilience that involved in the survival and the, um, the recovery. And she is, the work that she's doing now is absolutely amazing. So it's a really beautiful, incredible and um, heart wrenching journey. And I highly suggest listening and it, you will probably be moved as much as we were because it was really powerful. So stay tuned. That's going to be happening in just a few minutes. But before then, let's check out this sex question and we'll keep it anonymous. We'll call um, the sender E. So I really enjoy kissing, but my friends with benefits partner really dislikes it. He feels it's too intimate for our relationship. But for me, sex isn't sex without kissing. How should I approach this issue? All right, E, thank you for writing us. Inspired by Pretty Woman. And um, <laughs> that, yeah, inspired by Pretty Woman. That was, that was a thing, right, yeah. on, the, on the movie, which I watched like 600 times. She, yeah, she didn't kiss for that reason. Was I don't, because it's too, too personal. Yeah. I adore kissing, and the funny thing is, I feel like my partner doesn't adore it as much as I do. Uh-huh. And so I always ask, I'm like, hey, can I just, can we make out? Yeah, that was making out. Yep. And yeah, and it's funny because um, I really connect with kissing, and it's part of like, helping the juices flow for me. Yeah. I like get really turned on by kissing, not over like there's, they'll reach a point where I'm like kind of bored of it a little bit, but like then to kiss other parts of the body, but I do require kissing. Um, so I would have to say if I, and Amy, I'm sure you'll have something, um, really valuable as well to offer. But from my perspective, um, I would say definitely open up the conversation and say it's, it's important for you. And, um, ask for it because if you don't ask and maybe you already have, and he, and he continues to say he doesn't like it, but say, Hey, well, we can do a a 50, 50 exchange here. Like Mm -hmm. this, can we just kiss and make out this session of our experience? And then tomorrow we don't have to kiss at all in the mouth. Mm -hmm. I can kiss other places. I like what you said about the importance. I was working with a client who, um, when they talk to their partner about things that they want, they, they, they suggest it as like, it's a suggestion. Like maybe if you like to try this, we could instead of like, this is important to me. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a difference between just saying like, Oh, Hey, do you want to try this thing? It might be fun versus this is something that's really important to me as a means of, of receiving pleasure and connection. And so it sounds like, you know, this, you, this person really enjoys kissing the person that is their friends with benefits person says it's too vulnerable and too close um, so they're trying to essentially like put to down some sort of wall to make it so it isn't really intimate, uh, pr- pretty woman style. Um, so you have some options uh, to just convey the level of importance and they might still say, 
I don't kiss unless I'm in a relationship. And then you decide, do you still want to play with this person if there's a big component that's missing for you? Or uh, do you, like I said, what April said, you know, try to make some compromise to get some of that in there. Uh, but it sounds like w- from what you're writing that it's important to you mm-hmm. that you kind of need it to feel connected to someone. Otherwise, the connection might feel a little empty. Um, so I would prioritize it as a level of importance. And if it's not something that they're able to even meet you even halfway, um, to consider renegotiating the friends of benefit situation. Or maybe it's like, we can, we can kiss super like tonguey and like really like where that's like, like not dirty, but you know what I mean? Like where it's like really, I, I, I think it's, um, or like licking the face. Yeah. Where it's like a dog. just really like almost like I'm going to tear your face off with my tongue, mm. um, but not like a sweet, intimate kind of kiss, kiss. Maybe that would be something that like, to throw in there. Like, let's there's just kiss ways intensely to kiss. Yeah, there, there's, right. there can be like a really emotional makeout and maybe that's not on the table. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do think that asking for it and, and negotiating the importance of it for you and, and talking about it. And if it's just something that they're really not into, he, as, as you said, is, is r- dislikes and really is against, perhaps you just have to yeah, find, find um, a different friends with benefits partner that enjoys kissing more. Well, and here's another example of how porn ha- may have uh, affected people. You never see in mainstream porn a lot of making out and kissing. It's not really that common. There might be like a little bit if it's part of the scene, like setting yeah. the scene. But when they start fucking, they're just fucking. Mm-hmm. And and so a lot of folks who've seen that, that might also be shaping their ideas of what sexuality should look like, that making out or kissing throughout the act is not a part of it. But I do know that when I work with people in long-term relationships, um, that's one of the things that goes out of the, the window f- first and that they miss it. They're like... I miss the kissing. I miss the making out. It's part of feeling connected and it's not there anymore. We just go right to the genitals and, and then people are feeling really unfulfilled. So, um, if you have a need for kissing, I would, uh, honor that need because it's, it's a valid, it's a valid one. Something that I need to work on regarding this as well is I'm always like, you don't like kissing, do you? And I need to stop doing that. That's not helpful. No, it's totally not <laughs> helpful, but I do that. I'm like, I do it in a playful way. Like you don't like kissing me, huh? It's, I love it. Yeah. Come on. That, I mean, that's and helpful to explain what you like instead yeah. of telling someone what they don't like. Oh, totally. No, I know. And I realize, and I'm always like, ah, oh, damn it. I didn't, that's not what I meant. I, I meant that I really like kissing. Like kissing. And I would love it if maybe we could kiss <laughs> See, a little more. We all have to work on some things. Yeah. And I'm constant. I'm a work in progress. Yeah. We yeah. all are. Yeah, we all are. Yeah. So, um, so uh, yeah, go ahead and ask for it. And we've talked about in past podcasts, but just conveying the, the level of importance and starting with um, some an appreciation of something that's good. I really love our friends with benefits. I really like banging it out with you on an irregular basis. Followed by the word <laughs> and. And. Followed by what you were asking for. I'm hoping that we could make out from time to time. Why? Because it's really important for me. Mm-hmm. I like the tongue in my mouth. What about your butthole? Sometimes too. I like rimming. <laughs> Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. What if you had a shower? Okay, fine. <laughs> so we just negotiated some good My sex. My little pink butthole tattoo. What? Purple butthole tattoo. What is that? I don't know. My butthole kind of looks like I got a purple tattoo. Oh, really? Yeah. Did someone tell you that? Yeah. No, all of our listeners are very <laughs> curious as to what the hell we're talking about. Well, first of all, I always thought anal bleaching was bleaching your butthole hairs oh. until I realized that most people probably, skin. Yeah, yeah, you skin, and I didn't know that. And I was like, oh, well, my butthole is kind of purple. Maybe I, maybe it's a tattoo that I have. I love the color purple. Me too. 
I had a purple streak in my hair once. You have a purple shirt on right now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, off yeah. topic. So, yeah. so kissing. Um, I think we should do an episode on kissing. Okay. Like, uh, not just kissing, but like some different techniques and the art of kissing and the different ways that you can kiss and when you can incorporate it in, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think? Have you ever just sucked on a tongue? Yeah, not really my jam. <laughs> Nor do I like. I'm like, that. Mm, what do you have for dinner? Like steak tacos. Ew. And I, yeah, I do not enjoy having my tongue. Ex- it's like a really weird sensation. Like, yeah. If you've never done it, I, I, I do request slash suggest that you try it just once. Suck a tongue. Maybe get permission first. Well, yeah, definitely ask. <laughs> hey, can I suck your tongue? Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I hope this helps our tangents. Yeah, so negotiate that kissing. You deserve it. Kissing's hot. Yes, you do. So, uh, um, okay. Okay, before we go in the podcast, I want to say two things. Number one, April, are you still not drinking wine? I'm still off the wine. Oh, my God. But I do want to say that, you know, our, our favorite winemaker, Megan, from Margins Wine, she, I saw her at local restaurant in Santa Cruz. Um, she's actually... Um, working there and I love her and I ran into her and I was like I just want you to know that I absolutely love your wine it's beautiful and she's making a bunch more she said she's going to have a, um, some new releases I think starting next month Ooh. so right now she's super low and if you're out there you're listening even if you're not from Santa Cruz you're from Wisconsin you're from Florida sign up for her newsletter because you'll get all of um, she doesn't put out very many either it's not going to totally spam you up um, but check it out because she makes beautiful wine. And ah. if you're not a wine drinker, checking out a bottle of her stuff is well worth it because you'll probably love it. I know that I serve her Chenin Blanc to friends when they come over and they're like, this tastes like a sour beer or this tastes really great. Or um, even non-wine drinkers really like it. So, so good. check it out. Marginswine.com. Sign up for her newsletter. She's going to have some really cool um, very diverse releases. I can't wait to go get back on the wine. I know. I'm. I'm <laughs> asking that because I'm already like, when are we going to be able to drink wine while we podcast? I know. Usually again? we podcast and drink wine, and I Amy's have to go just drink it on my own, being supportive <laughs> with my. I'm just. I mean, no, I'm being supportive. I'm going to go drink some later, but <laughs> I know. <laughs> but not right now. I was thinking about maybe getting off of it this weekend and having a glass or two. Get off. Get off the the cleanse. Get yeah. Wine. We'll see. Why not? Why not? Um. All right, everyone. Well. Uh, I think that's it for all of our announcements. Our sex question: be We really want to create a lot of spaciousness to dive into this. Uh, I don't even know. I don't have the right well, words to describe this podcast. And it's I do want to say, <sighs> if you if you are unaware, or if you are a human that has been trafficked, there are resources for you. She talks a little bit about it going into it, but there are resources, and it is a serious thing. And um, I think that I would love to actually donate to the cause because I think this is a real. It's it's a problem. So, yeah. that being said, should we get on and uh, go to it? Let's giddy on up. Giddy on up. Let's do it. Okay, everyone. So, it's time to dive into the podcast as promised. I'll do a little uh, intro for our wonderful guest speaker. Uh, so, Robin Rivera is a wild woman warrior and feminine leadership coach working with women on a mission, as well as youth empowerment and for prevention education on sex trafficking. Robin is passionate about transforming trauma into freedom, sharing her story of resilience, radical transformation, and overcoming sexual trauma and sexual exploitation from a survivor's perspective. To learn more, visit RobinRiveraIgnites.com. Welcome, Robin. Hi, Robin. Hi, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. This topic is a really, really good one, too. I'm really um, excited and looking forward to it. Yeah, and I'm sure also uh, 
edgy for edgy. a lot of folks oh, too. Sure. Like yeah. a, a little edgy in, is it okay to talk about it? Yeah. Um, it's important. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's time yeah. to shed some light from a survivor's perspective as yeah. well. Yeah, so um, let's start, I guess, before we go in, tell us a little more about yourself. Um, So tell us about yourself and the work that you do. We'll start with that. Okay, myself and the work that I do. Oh, my goodness. Oh, is there a time frame here? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, no, just keep, just whatever. Okay, so, well, the work that I'm doing currently actually keeps finding me. I didn't really set out to do it, but I keep being asked to um, contribute to kind of a survivors-led anti-human trafficking movement uh, where we go around to counties and organizations training staff and law enforcement service providers um, basically about uh, child sex trafficking awareness. And then uh, we, t- we have a second program where we teach them how to actually interact with them, how to provide services for them and what it actually takes to heal and, uh, and protocol and program development. Um, yeah, so I've been doing that for about four years paid, longer than that, um, since 2011 um, for vol- volunteering. And, you know, when I, when I started volunteering with it, I was, um, I was a I was a few I was a couple years into changing my life and I didn't know really why I was drawn to this human trafficking thing and I just you know I was trying to do college and I knew that it would be good for me to volunteer and I just felt like being of service and so my heart just called me to go to this human trafficking uh, conference by myself and I was super shy I didn't know why I was there and when I was sitting in the audience I just was listening to the speakers and I just burst into tears and I was like, Oh my God, I was totally, um, trafficked when I was younger. And some of my experiences were with traffickers. I didn't know that, um, that pimps were human traffickers. I didn't know that. And I, I had a history. Um, I had an experience in the adult sex industry, uh, since I was about 18 years old. And before that, I had, um, you know, just multitude of complex sexual traumas. I don't know if anybody actually, you know, uh, human trafficked me when I was underage, because there has to be a third party uh, profiter when for that to constitute as human trafficking. But I was definitely exploited by older men and definitely um, coerced and put into these gnarly situations. And then you know, coming full circle as an adult sitting in this anti-human trafficking conference, I just had this huge, um, you know, a realization and an opening of a deep healing that, wow, this, yeah, this is a real thing. This really happened to me. And I'm lucky that I made it out alive. And, um, yeah, and I began this a deeper journey of my healing, which I was already on. And uh, through the means of being of service to this movement. And so I, you know, little by little, been asked to public speak and speak on um, sexual trauma and resilience and all these things. So that's part of the work I do. And then, um, you know, I I went to UC Berkeley and uh, studied social welfare. And then now I'm, uh, you know, I'm just really, really deeply interested in the transformational process because I know firsthand how. gut-wrenching and how difficult and how much uh, perseverance it requires. 
and uh, and how rewarding and how beautiful. So I went on to study my master's in consciousness and transformation. I'm almost done. I have a couple more units. So now I'm I've kind of taken that degree and turned it into um, a feminine uh, leadership coaching business. So I simultaneously am doing these human trafficking trainings, mentoring other survivors and um, and mentoring other women who want to step into um, more powerful forms of their personal leadership, owning their story of trauma and resilience in whatever way that means, whether it's, you know, pursuing public speaking or starting a business or creating online courses. Um, I just, you know, really want to be there to hold other women's hand through this process. So, uh, yeah, that answer you where yeah, I'm at now. Definitely. Yeah. And can you ex- explain a little more of the complexities of human trafficking? Because I think when yeah. when people think of human trafficking, and yeah. it sounds like you had an aha moment about it, but they think it happens in one way. You know, it's um, someone from abroad who doesn't speak um, yeah. as, uh, you know, English or certain languages is, is like stolen and taken and sold into sexual slavery. But I know that it's also more than that. So can you explain a little more about that? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm so uh, desensitized to it. I think everybody just knows. And but that was me too. I didn't know. I thought it was, um, you know, totally just exactly what you said, just like on the movie Taken. And although that does happen, you know, people get kidnapped and get into high, um, high end prostitution rings. Um, that does happen. But more so what we're seeing and more of what I'm involved in and what we're concerned with is basically, um, Street street trafficking, urban trafficking, um, California is home to three hubs. And what that looks like is just basically uh, uh, a woman is prostituted and she is not keeping the money. There is, a th- there is someone taking her money. There's somebody, um, a third party is profiting. So it's, it's an exchange of any sexual act for something of value. It doesn't even have to be money. It could be drugs. It could be food, shelter, a car, or a promise thereof. Um, but if a third party person is profiting, it's considered human trafficking. Um, for adults, uh, there has to be proof of force, fraud, or, or coercion. So that could be as simple as uh, um, a trafficker, a pimp, promising a woman a career in the modeling industry, which happened to a very close friend of mine. Uh, and then, you know, kind of swindling her into it and tricking her and getting her under his uh, control, threatening her um, and very quickly getting mind control. And there's a science behind it. Like there's, it's very, it can be very quickly achieved even with a well-adjusted human being. Now for children, the laws have passed since 2001, I believe, 2000 or 2001, that you don't have to prove forced fraud or coercion just because of the nature of the underdeveloped mind. Uh, so you don't have to prove any forced fraud or coercion. If they're under 18 and there's a third party person profiting from the child or the minor um, doing some kind of sexual act in exchange of anything of value, uh, then it's considered human trafficking. And so what that most looks like is, uh, you know, underage kids being sold online, you know, some, uh, a man wants or a man or woman wants to purchase, uh, a child and you can order any size, color, shape, um, ethnicity that you want and have it delivered right to your doorstep. Or you can go on the street in certain, you know, hubs and, uh, just, you know, scour the street and pick up which one you want. Uh, yeah. And America surprisingly, uh, is the number one destination for child sex tourism while like Brazil and Thailand would probably be the top. I can't remember the exact top for adult, um, sex tourism, which is where, you know, businessmen travel the world specifically having, um, 
exotic sex with women, whatever. Um, but people come to America to purchase children. And the only reason that that exists is because there's such a high demand and it's underregulated in America. And so people, uh, you know, people are really getting together now and they're at ground zero, you know, corralling like, okay, this makes us look really bad. We need to do something about this, but they're really at ground zero about it. And there's actually the, the new laws, the, I forgot the, the, the foster, they call it foster law that happened in California mm-hmm. that is supposed to help with human trafficking. What's your stance on that? Because I do know a number of people who are current sex workers uh, by choice yeah. who are really unhappy about it because it's made it so it's harder for them to advertise and uh, promote themselves and safe outlets. But what do you think? Yeah, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't know all the, the details about that that just passed. Um, And what makes me a little bit different than the other survivors in the circle that I am is that I don't have a strong stance on, you know, pro-sex work or no pro-sex work because I can see the bigger perspective. I I have experiences both as a sex worker and being exploited and coerced and all that stuff. And, And I very much understand what it's like to be a woman in the world and need money and, 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 uh, and to even feel empowered in certain scenarios. Um, so I don't know how that law affects sex workers, um, but I don't have a stance on like, you know, oh, let's just destroy everything. I don't think that is the issue. I think the issue is the demand, uh, the, the increasing demand for children and preying upon vulnerable populations. That's where I think the problem is. Like, um, I don't think, I don't know. But so I don't know what happened with that law. I do know about the law that passed that made um, that made children basically um, uh, able to get access to resources through the child welfare system by deeming that if a, if they are identified as like we call it CSEC, it's commercially sexually exploited children, if they are deemed um, somehow discovered to be CSEC, then they are deemed um a child who has experienced neglect, whether the parent uh, tried to protect them or not. It's like, I don't know, I think the law says um, it would mean that the parent either failed to or was unable to protect the child from being sexually exploited. And so that's kind of controversial too, because then it's like, oh, you know, now the parents are getting in trouble or whatever. Not really, but they it gives them access to resources. So that's the only law they know about. I don't know what's going on with the FOSTA, though. Can you tell me what you know about it? Well, what I know about it is it was uh, targeting spe- specifically the big outlets where people can advertise, like Craigslist, um, yes, back pages, yes, things like yes, that, yes. that made it so mm-hmm. that um, people could no longer advertise on there. And the intention was that if they got rid of that, then um, I'm not going to say this perfectly because I don't know everything about this, yeah, but, but yeah. that then they could help to end human trafficking. But what has happened is for a lot of sex workers that was their safe way of promoting themselves screening exactly and so you know what happens next do they have to go put themselves on this on the street and screen like you know in in person in a really unsafe way um and so i've heard that a a number of uh, sex workers that are kind of scrambling to figure out how to keep their business going because i do know a number of sex workers that choose to do sex work because they love it. They absolutely yeah, love it. Yeah, and they're yeah. and some of them are doing it in a way that feels really healing. It's not just to bring in the money. Uh, and sometimes yeah, it is just yeah. bringing the money and they still love it, but they yeah. um, need safe outlets to do it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So I think I, uh, yeah, you want to go in that? Yeah, I, I hear you. And I have two things to say about that. Um, 
One, I, I totally, I agree that there are people that feel really empowered by it and love it. And my, my thing is from my perspective, cause here's the thing. I, I, I left the industry, whatever. I became a single mom, tried to change my life mostly because I was, you know, physically ill and mentally, you know, distraught. Um, but I, so I did this whole thing where I totally rejected, you know, the sex industry and that life. And I just really wanted to be a good mom and whatever, learn what that meant. And then through having my healing process and education and taking feminist classes at UC Berkeley, and I even took a class on feminist porn. And I thought, you know what, well, maybe I can do that. You know what, maybe I did like that. I did like parts of that. And so I really was trying to discover for myself, can this really be empowering? And here's, and so I did go back and I tried. Um, and here's the distinction that I think uh, I want to point out is in my experience of all the people that I know, and I have friends who are still sex workers, love them to death and uh, whatever. Um, I think that there is, there's, it's not the majority that are feeling empowered. I think there are some people who do feel empowered and, and I love that. But the, the majority of the people that I knew were suffering in some way and, in in and vulnerable in some way. And that's where I have a problem with is like, okay, I did not have the power to say no to things that I didn't want to do because of whatever wounding and trauma and uh, destitution and things like that. Uh, and, uh, and lack of boundaries, you know, just, just a lot of moving factors. And I had a lot of friends that experienced that too. And I know a lot of people that experienced that. If there was a way to protect the people that are vulnerable from being taken advantage by the producers, the directors, the porn agents, the, all these people, um, I, I, I would say, oh yeah, you know, it's all good. It's not all good because it's for some reason, people, people are being vulnerable. People are being pipelined through there. Um, but so that's what I have to say about that. I think that the, the only issue is people who are vulnerable and don't have the power to say no to the things they don't want to do. And then, and then it compiles and uh, lives can get really um, confusing. But the second thing I want to say about the foster, about the, you know, the websites being taken down and stuff, I, I totally hear how that could damage um, sex workers' businesses. I don't have anything to say about that because... I'm not in that industry anymore and it's not affecting me personally. What I can say about um, how it uh, affects, what I see how it affects the child sex trafficking uh, negatively is that, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying <laughs> negatively, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I don't care, it's, it's the truth. But that was a way that we were finding some kids. You know, that, that was the way that we were finding them because they were on there. Oh, she's alive. Oh, let's, you know, there she is. You know, that's how police were finding them. Um, and so now it's like, how are you going to find them? <laughs> Where are they going to go? I don't know. Um, yeah, that's one thing yeah. that I did hear is that they were saying that uh, a lot of the people, sex workers are saying it's not going to help sex trafficking. It's going to push it underground. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just don't agree with all this like black and white shit of like, oh, it's 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 all or nothing or it's, you know, it's sex work or it's it's not human trafficking. It's like 
come on, people, wake up. This is like a huge thing. This is so much broader than just like, oh, no, sex. if you end sex work, then you're going to end the demand. No. If, if the demand was for Christmas trees, people would be buying and selling fucking Christmas trees. But it's not. <laughs> the demand is for sex. You're not going to take away the demand. It's just not going to happen. And so my thoughts are like, what is the best way that we can serve and lift people up and meet them where they're at? Like, it, for me, it's not about taking anybody even out of trafficking. Like, yeah, okay. I guess like if they're really in danger, you know, and you have to, you want to hospitalize them, they're sick or something, but they're going to go back because this is, this is, this is their human life. This is the life that they are caught up in. And all we can do is be a shining example to them and love them as best we can and provide whatever we can. So I just feel like all these like laws and things and tactics, that stuff is not working. Like it's you, it's like a two-sided coin. If you take one thing away, then it exasperates in another area. So I don't know. I'm not a genius magician. I don't know how to fix, you know, the answer. But I do know that you can't save anybody. You can't change anybody. All, I just feel like all you can do is love them and and live through such a powerful example of of what's possible. You know, if people are doing it because they love it, great. They don't. They they still need your love. It's fine. But if people are doing it or caught in it because they don't know what's possible and they don't know their potential, then that's where I feel like. I have a place to be like, you know, hey, yeah, you can do this and you can also explore how amazing your life could be and how free you could get. And that's what I'm concerned with. So I don't really know about all the logistics. If someone is is really moved by this, obviously a lot of people are moved by this, but to help um, prevent trafficking from happening, are there some suggestions I don't know some causes that you know of that are legitimate that people could either donate to or ways to mitigate or even slowly find um, a means to an end to trafficking do you have any light to shine on that for us yeah well prevention is really important and I'm working I have a client right now who is um, she's a survivor and she's creating um, a traffickers prevention program so it's like you know reaching the young boys who might potentially become traffickers and empowering them and talking about it you know and talking about other options Um, she hasn't created it yet so I don't know what it's going to be called Um, but there are programs like that what I think is important for prevention is is just like well it's along that lines is the community education is talking about it with kids younger and younger. Um, it, it's just yeah, it just it's it's just so much in our media and 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 it's like they're being groomed really young. If if all the factors are in place like broken home, because we're generally seeing it's people kids who are runaway, kids who have broken homes. Um, and yeah, they're just basically looking for love. So I think talking about it at a young age is really important. I don't um, have a program on the top of my head right now as far as donating to prevention. I am creating a prevention program. Um, it's called Light Warriors. And I've piloted it twice uh, in Monterey and Merced. And basically, for me, it's more of um, like a psycho-spiritual uh, coaching, mentorship, peer mentorship program with the idea that if you instill self-esteem and self-awareness and uh, self-autonomy in children that and talk about the sex uh, stuff and trafficking and and in the issue that they will be able to um, you know feel more empowered and and kind of get the secret to life at a younger age of manifesting your own reality particularly for foster youth, um, particularly for, and I'm targeting the, um, 
what is it called, transitional age youth, so between 18 and 24. Um, and then I would like uh, them to graduate from this program and then teach the younger population, like the middle schoolers, about um, self-autonomy and what sex trafficking is and things like that. But something that people can, uh, can do to be involved is um, become... Uh, volunteer to be and get educated to become an advocate so that when people are identified, when victims are identified, they can have somebody, a you know, wellspring of people to send out to be first responders, um, to be there with them and to advocate for them and to help them feel more safe and, um, and empowered. Another thing that is highly, highly needed to um, support stopping human trafficking or at least um, dealing with what's going on is uh, specialized foster parents and because we just do not have any barely any resources or places to put the children who do want to get out or who are discovered there's really nowhere to put them and um and, and, and it's very controversial to do lockdown I was in a lockdown facility when I was 15 years old and um I lived there for 13 months and now it's very controversial some people think you know, yes, put them in residential. And some people are like, no, then they get out and they have no life skills. And, um, and so giving them a normal life as possible, the best way to do that is through specialized foster parents. And there's just, you know, already an under-resource of foster parents in general for any youth, but especially um, needed for the CSEC youth. Yeah, and the other side of prevention is like the, you know, the it's the demand side. So I don't, that it would be, you know, harsher crimes for the Johns and things like this. But I really don't have a stance on that. I don't know what the answer for that is. I think the best thing is for people to just um, to get involved if it speaks to them, if it calls them and in whatever way possible. And I would just Google it, what's in your area, because there's different there's different resources resources in everyone's areas and it's very particular to the county some counties are very far behind in catching up with providing resources and initiatives while others are very progressive like santa clara county in california yeah and and you talked a little bit about your um your journey your experience with with sex trafficking Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering if you have anything to elaborate on that and then also um more, more so about the how you actually, the tools that you found helpful in working with trauma and shame that really worked for you in your journey. Yeah. Okay. Um, my, the trafficking that I experienced, well, ugh. Um, I feel very passionate for people to understand that it's not black and white. It's not like, oh, this child uh, was trafficked or exploited and, and, and this one chose to do it so one is better than the other it's not like that it's like both is happening both is going to continue to happen and they still need help they still still deserve help they still deserve um, to be seen as a human being so for me it really began uh, when I was 15 running away from home there was abuse and stuff going on in my home Uh, not sexual but physical and emotional and I want you know I, I just wanted out and I, and I kept running into, you know, the arms of some really bad older men who definitely um, forced me to do things that I didn't want to do. And it was kind of like the, the groundwork. I believe that kind of like primed me. I was also slut shamed way before I ever even was um, sexual. And so I feel like all these things kind of, you know, were were grooming me to be super susceptible and vulnerable to people taking advantage of me sexually. 
So it was like people were slut shaming me. I didn't understand. And then, you know, when all this, uh, you know, sexual trauma started happening and exploitation at 15, I kind of confirmed inside myself, oh, yeah, of course this is happening. They said I was a slut. This is what happens to sluts. And and so I really internalized that. And and I, I, was, I think that everybody is really just looking for love. You know, you're not getting in your home. And so even though I knew these people were taking advantage of me and forcing me to do things with people that I didn't want to do and video cameras involved and all this stuff. Um, I just kind of thought to myself, Oh, well this must be what I'm good at. This is what I'm wanted for. This is what I'm good for. I just had this narrative and I think it was confirmed or reiterated by the media too. It's like, Oh, you know, this is the highest attainment of a woman is to be sexualized and to be glorified in this way. It's just very distorted for me as a child I didn't understand mm. and then I got locked up whatever I I was uh, missing persons for a couple weeks and the FBI were um, gonna be it was a big deal if you were looking for me there was some rape case detectives is very scary time in my life incredible um, just uh, just incredible trauma of uh, survival trying to survive hiding you know um, and then I was rescued by some police and back then they didn't have these laws about, Oh, if a child's trafficked or exploited, you know, we help them and we give them multidisciplinary teams. No, they put you in the nut house. They, so they put me in the nut house. And then from there, luckily, even though my parents, you know, were pretty dysfunctional, they loved me a lot and they really wanted the, to do, wanted to help me. So they sent me to Mexico and I was there for 13 months. But when I came out, I had no life skills and I still had all this emotional trauma. Yeah, I had some therapy and some process work, some seeds were planted, but I was just beyond, beyond being able to step into adulthood. <laughs> and so I became um, an exotic dancer and I was like, oh, this is perfect. I, I can, I can, uh, drink and party the way that I need to drink and party to deal with, you know, this brain and this set of emotions. And uh, I couldn't hold another job because I had so many emotional breakdowns, but dancing, you made your own schedule is perfect. And so I felt really empowered, but I got really sick and um, uh, I, I had never done anything like prostitution. And I, I flip-flopped in and out of uh, dancing for a long time. And I found myself in LA and I entered the porn industry and I just, you know, my, my thought process was like, I have no family. Um, no one's ever going to marry me. I'm broken. I might as well just try this. This might work for me. You know, um, let me just try it. I can either do it or I can't. And it was there that it really, um, it got really confusing and really dark quickly. The, the porn agents, um, yeah, you know, you on one point and on one side you say, oh, it was so fun. It was so glamorous. And another side was like, highly manipulative, highly coercive, and kind of like pimping, actually. You know, it's a third-party person profiting and and really pressuring you to do things you don't want to do. And, you're, you know, if you're a young woman out in L.A. by yourself with no resources and no one to turn to, you really want that next job, you just keep, you know, taking the jobs. And um, it, was a, it was a porn producer who turned me out into prostitution. Uh, and, you know, he took me to the back room and basically told me this is what all the girls do and if you want to get hired you have to do this and I think I totally blacked out I was completely sober and I just blacked out and I just I made myself do what I thought that I had to do and that kind of opened up this gateway of um of escorting and once that was open um it just it it, it got um seedier and seedier and is in uh what ended up happening was I was suicidal 
my boyfriend had broke up with me and I was at a party and this rapper told me, hey, I have an extra room. I was like, all right, yeah, I have nowhere else to go. Like, I'm moving in. And he's like, you don't have to pay me. You know, we'll work it out, work it out. Strung out on drugs. And I, I just didn't dawn on me why these people were being nice to me. And it was such a blur. And it, I don't know, it only lasted for a couple of weeks. But at the end of it, um, I found myself at a record release mansion party and yeah, and I, I have cut wrists, I have bandages on my wrists, and I'm supposed to be a dancer, I think. I think I'm just dancing, and uh, there was a very high-profile figure, prince guy that came, I, I guess I shouldn't even say it on the radio, but um, <laughs> but we were saying, you know, I thought I was just dancing, but, but long story short, by the end of this night, um, the rapper that I was living with and his DJ, uh, came into the room and they began what I now know from teaching human trafficking training was they were beginning the breaking process on me. They were, you know, screaming at me and breaking me down and making, humiliating me and making me feel like I did something wrong to not get a certain amount of money out of this, uh, person that I was supposed to supposedly serve. And I was believing them. It was the weirdest thing. I was just crying. Like, yeah, I totally let these guys down. Like, I failed these people that I don't even know. And I'm believing them. And um, I was sure they were going to start beating me up. And uh, so I just kind of cowered. And uh, they they didn't beat me up. They left the room. And they saw that they had broken me enough. But something inside me was like, just play along, Robin. Just just play along. And, um, I, I had some, a big wad of cash in my pocket that this figure person gave me. I didn't tell anybody, but something inside me was like, you got to get the fuck out of here as soon as possible. There was like creepy people, you know, in the corners watching me. So, um, I decided to make a run for it at probably like six o'clock in the morning. I don't know. And this woman tried to throw me in a van. I was barefooted. I was in Beverly Hills and I just ran and, um, I didn't stop running until there I hitchhiked the some, some gentleman in a black Range Rover picked me up and I was so afraid he was going to hurt me too. But I just, you know, God, I said, can you take, I was obviously distraught, crying barefoot in a cocktail dress. And he, I uh, said, can you take me to a hotel or drop me off at a hotel? And um, I realized I reached out to, um, to my friends and they're like, you need, you need to go home. <laughs> you need to go home back to the Bay area. You need to go home and just abandon all your belongings. Uh, Cause those people are really dangerous. And so I just abandoned my whole life, every picture, every keepsake, every hair item. And I came home to the Bay area and, uh, I didn't realize what that was. I just thought this is what happens when you're a bad person and you're living the fast life. Like you get yourself into these messed up situations. Um, and uh, yeah. And so when I came home, I, uh, I wanted to get my life together and I couldn't, <laughs> I still couldn't until uh, two weeks later, I discovered I was pregnant and, uh, that was it for me. And I set out on a journey to, um, to give my daughter and the best life that I could. And I knew that I had, a ton, a ton of healing to do and a lot to learn. And so I just um, set out relentlessly to discover what it was going to take for me to heal and to give this little girl a chance at life. And 
And so I did that and it was amazing. I was able to tap into some deep feminine power that I, I was able to go to college and win 37 scholarships and a full ride to UC Berkeley and all this stuff. It's just like it's never ending miracle. And uh, so the healing uh, that I found was when I uh, started uh, volunteering at a yoga studio. I was like, okay, I can't afford yoga, but I think it helps people. And I don't know, you know, how to transition from crazy party girl to mom. So I worked at a yoga studio and I started practicing yoga and I, it was like somatic therapy. I dropped into my body for the first time. I saw my hands for the first time and I just appreciate, I learned to appreciate this body that it endures so much abuse and um, who I abused. And I just felt so grateful that it let me, it trusted me to give birth to this baby. And uh, yeah, I started having spiritual experiences through the yoga and visions of um, healing my inner child and just, uh, you know, visions of self-love, revelations of my beauty. Um, Yeah. So I um, did teacher training and then, you know, I, I didn't get therapy at first because I didn't have insurance and the list was so long, but eventually I got into therapy. I started doing uh, depth hypnosis, which is kind of like a shamanic style of therapy where I did lots of soul retrievals. And this therapist was the first person to ever tell me that I wasn't broken or nothing was wrong with me, that I was actually gifted. And it was a whole different perspective. And so that perspective really carried me through because I began to look at myself and my sensitivities and the adversity as a strength. And um, and I began to talk about it with people from an empowered place and not, not sh- a shameful place. And I, I began to see how people responded to my vulnerability. And I loved it. And I was writing and um, just ex- constantly expressing myself in public speaking and all of those steps kind of dropped me deeper into self-acceptance and it's been really, really hard. Um, I've had moments of incredible bliss and progress, but it's simultaneously very capable of PTSD getting triggered and thinking, believing these horrible stories that I'm broken, that I don't deserve to be a mom. You know, just that childhood um, wounding just debilitated me for years and not consistently but when it hit it was like I was at risk of suicide I was at risk of um, relapsing on um, drugs and alcohol Um, and it's taken me a long time it's taken me 10 years to really unravel those tendencies on a and it just gets deeper and deeper what I found was that I had to be have the courage you know of a warrior to turn towards the darkest pieces, the pieces that felt so horrific and so unlovable. And so um, just there's no possible way that I could be, that I could live like this um, and to turn towards those and to kind of allow myself to soften into that and and what was revealed to me that it, it wasn't real. And um, even in that was the beginning of a whole, you know, another level of healing, which is still happening. <laughs> it doesn't just happen once, you know, it's just layers and layers. And it's now I feel that this is the most beautiful possible human experience ever to feel such the far reaching ranges of what it is to be human from the total horror to the complete ecstasy and everything in between. And I'm just so excited for more. (laughs) It's like, this is awesome. And if I can share this with anyone else suffering um, to that degree that they feel they need to die there or, you know, whatever, believe in whatever 
weird stories, uh, I want I want to reflect to them that it's not real. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's been like the the yoga, somatic stuff, um, depth hypnosis, and um, and I got really, I fell really deeply in love with um, plant and animal medicines. Um, it, it really took the eighteen years of healing work that I was doing on and off because I did start therapy when I was thirteen, but all the the self inquiry and just you know, blew it out of the water. It's like, oh yeah, good work, Robin. Like, good job all those 18 years. And now we're really going to give you the healing. Now you're really going to get to receive the fruits of your dedication and your perseverance. And it's just really, I'm really, really grateful. Mm. Wow. I think that's like, I don't even want to call it a story, but like the most probably touching and moving recount that we've had on this podcast. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I, yeah, it was I long. Was <laughs> totally tearing up, like my eyes were welling up. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's yeah. like really heavy, but beautiful, beautiful to hear that yeah. your progress and your transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And that that's that that that's possible that you were able to find that. And if I was reading your, you know, all because you have an even longer bio on your website that really goes more in depth into the um, the resilience and just and, and so now you're you're inspiring Correct. other folks on how they could they too can um can uh live the life to their fullest potential so can you t- t- share a little more about that your offerings the people that you work with and how people can work with you yeah so um I do individual and group coaching and I also do I'm trying to birth this life light warriors program so that it can also be it could be tailored to both the general public and to the um the the at-risk youth population um but the way that people could work with me is uh, reaching out to me one-on-one and what i what i do is i'm really operating from an integral perspective so it's like integral would mean it's kind of like a step above holistic we look at all the domains of people's lives and, and put in practices so that whatever is the person's goal, whatever their highest vision for their life is, you're going to be, uh, we're going to be working on practices that are both inner for their inner world and their outer world. So that's what I really like about coaching versus just therapy is that you can, um, you're not skipping parts, you're including the whole and everything. So for example, if I'm working with somebody that wants to become a public speaker or wants to um, turn their passion into an online uh, course, um, I work with them on the tangible goals, but I also, you know, am right there with them as the obstacles come up, the inner obstacles, because that's really, you know, all there is. Um, and so, yeah, and so that's how I work with them, usually in a three to six month package container. Yeah, so it's it's really beautiful and inspiring work. Uh, the clients that I have right now uh, are I have two of them that are launching their like soul centered uh, digital coaching programs where they created the online platform. They have their email list, and then they welcome people into um, into their offerings, which is like their life's work. And so I really believe that. Um, the online platform could be really amazing for especially female entrepreneurs who have a soulful mission um, that they want to reach more people in that way. So a lot of work I do is around the online stuff as well. Mm. Awesome. And everyone, uh, if you want to learn more, you can go to Robin's website at Robin Rivera Ignites.com. Mm-hmm. Um, 
wow, we could probably talk forever uh, because <laughs> you have so much. I know, I'm so sorry. Wow. No, it's beautiful. No, it's just so so much to share. I'm so I'm so grateful for you and your sharing your vulnerability and um and just in awe of your path of where you've come from and where you are now and um, the offerings that you're sharing with the world. It's just so inspiring and so important. So thank you so much. Thank you, Amy and April. Thanks for having me on here. Thank you for taking the time to spend with us. I mean, I think our listeners are really going to be, I know, inspired by really how much vulnerability that you've had and and also your work with others. You're doing wonderful work, Robin. Thank you. Um, And we hope maybe to have you on again or hope to see you soon and and continue on your beautiful journey. I know you're traveling right now. Uh, Safe travels to you. Thank you. And we look forward to connecting with you again. We do too. Thank you so much. Bless your lives. Thank you. All right, everybody, that was Robin, and we hope you enjoyed the show today. Tune in every Tuesday for another Shameless Sex podcast episode. We'll see you next Tuesday, y'all. Ciao for now. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.